Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Hey, today we're going to be in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. We're making our way through that chapter. We're going to be picking up in verse 15. It's where we left off last week. I actually started to talk about this, uh, these couple verses last week, but we ran out of time, so I just kind of gave you a quick challenge about them, and then uh, we had to move on and, and to dismiss. But um, I want to pick up right where we left off. So again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of, from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week we started with that section and we said that, hey, we've been talking about living in light and not dark, living as children that are light and not dark, and being imitators of God, and and doing away with the things that are evil, and instead pursuing those that are righteous and, and true and good. And we talked about those things. And we ended with, live like it matters. If we've really become children of the light, then live like it matters. If we're sons and daughters of the living God, then let us live like it matters. That the days that we're in are days that matter. They're important. And so let's reread that again, just that one part. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul's explaining to us that there's, there's two ways to live. And you can live with the Lord, or you can live still, even though the, the, the Holy Spirit's in us, we can still live in opposition to Him. We can still live with one foot in and one foot out. That every opportunity we have, every moment we have, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to act wisely and to live this amazing life we've been given, or it's an opportunity to live unwisely and live in the manner in which we used to live, to live in darkness. The days are evil. They're constantly drawing us towards that which is evil. Our own sinful nature is constantly wanting to get back towards that which is evil. Don't act like it's not there. Don't put your head in the sand and pretend like it's no big deal. Don't dabble in the darkness and go, ah, it's okay. It's not okay. Remember earlier in the passage it said, don't even, don't even talk about it. Don't even mention those evil things. Because it's so easy to fall back into that life. It's so easy to put your attention back on that. It's so easy for those desires and those passions to begin to rule your life again. Then walk away from them. Turn away from them. And be very careful. And be wise. There's temptations at your door. There's there's opportunities that aren't best. There's moments that you just need to get away from real fast. Be wise. And he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The only way we're going to live this way, the only way we're going to be wise, the only way we're going to be able to tell which is, 
darkness and which is light. The only way we can be able to, to determine if this is a good choice or a crummy choice, the only way we're going to be able to decide is this God's best or is this just okay, is that if we know the will of God. And how is it that we're going to know the will of God? We're going to be in the Word. We're going to be in the Word. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? We studied it last year. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. James 1, 5, and 6 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all those without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Go to the Word. We're going to read the Word. We're going to take it in on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis. We're going to take in the Word so that, if you will, again, this is just an analogy, we're going to take in the Word and we're going to breathe out the will of God. We're going to take in the Word and we're going to breathe out the will of God. That's not literally how it happens, right? But that's kind of an expression of it. We're going to take in the Word and suddenly our next step is able to be the will of God. Are we going to ask God what His will is? Absolutely. But there's only one way to know the will of God. And it is by being in the Word. I don't know what your experience with God has been like. But I have not experienced what Jesus experienced after he was baptized, where heaven opened up, and God said, this is my son. I want him to do that so bad. He hasn't done it. Right? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't had this thunderous experience where in the midst of the storm, a real storm, like God's voice starts speaking to me. I so want that to happen. I've been on trails where I'm praying, just spending my time with God, just praying, Lord, what about this? What about that? I really want the donkey to show up. Just show up and talk to me, donkey. No, it hasn't happened. How is it that we will know the voice of the Lord? How is it that we will know what God's will is? It's going to come from the Word of God, the Word of God. This right here, Scripture, is the voice of God written down. It is him. It is the right, the wrong, the good, the bad. The will for my life can be found right here. Now, I'm going to have this intimate conversation with him. There's no doubt. But how do I test it? Because I'm a pretty crafty person on the inside. I can make myself think all sorts of things are from God. How do I test it? I have to be in the word of God to make sure that it is righteous and best and holy and good. I have to be in the word of God. So we challenged you at the end of the day, uh, end of the week last week, that if you, if you haven't, you started the 365 plan at the beginning of last year and you, you know, you, you said, ah, I got busy. I know. <laughs> Almost everybody did. Start it back up. Be in the Word of God every day. It's, it's not important that you actually, you know, accomplish this program or this, uh, this plan. The plan's never the goal. The goal is to be in the Word of God every day. So pick it back up and let it be a guide for you. Let it be a guide. And then we said, hey, maybe you're going to spend the next 90 days. Pick up a new one. We made a new one. Next 90 days through the Gospels. You'll read all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in 90 days. How cool would that be right before Christmas to read the story of Jesus from four different authors, four different perspectives, and to watch the life of Christ be absolutely unpacked right before you? Man, that'd be amazing. Then we made this one. Uh, Just go next 30 days. 30 days, be in the book of Matthew. Just be in the book of Matthew. That'd be cool. And then in December, grab one of these. Just a real quick one. Every day opens up just a few few verses, a thought about those verses that takes us right up to Christmas. Boy, in the word of God. 
every day. That will be a powerful, powerful reminder every day to be wise, to live wisely, to make the most of every opportunity. Because you have an opportunity every day. You are a person of influence and you have a platform. And what are you going to do with that platform that you've been given every day as a person of influence? What are you going to do with it? You're like, I don't have a platform. I have a platform on Sunday mornings. You have a platform on Monday mornings. You have a platform on Tuesday nights. I have a platform on Tuesday nights. Whoever it is that we have influence with, there's a platform with that person. What are we going to be sharing with them? What are we going to be telling them? How are we going to make the most of that opportunity? Because the days are evil, and they're pulling them away from God. The days are pulling them away from God. The days are tempting us to walk disobediently God. The days are tempting us to be all about something that God is not about. The days are tempting us to think that what happens in this day today that the world says is important is literally the most important thing when it's not. You are a person of influence, and you've been given a platform to be wise with to make the most of that opportunity. I woke up this morning at 3.45 and walked down. And uh, there sitting on my couch was a, a, a man named Travis. I was like, hey, brother, good to see you. And you're like, that's weird, right? Do you walk down and just find a guy sitting in your couch at 3.45? I knew he was going to show up. I just didn't know when. He was from my youth group a long time ago. He graduated from the Air Force Academy. He's an officer in the Air Force, just an amazing guy. He was here for a funeral, and he said, hey, at some point, I'm going to be done with this thing, but it's about a three-hour trek to Dulles, and uh, can I stop at your house and at least try to sleep for two hours? I'm like, yeah, I'll leave the door open, you walk in. He said, okay. I don't do that every night. So I walked down, there he was, we started talking, and I said, man, tell me about what's been going on in the last 24 hours. He goes, I went to the funeral of my, fr- my best friend's dad. I said, oh, did you know him? He goes, no, I met him once. I needed to fly out here and be with my best friend. I'm like, that's awesome. I said, yeah. He goes, and I had to see the man, even if he was in the state that he was going to be in, who I want to imitate my life after. I'm like, you mean your friend? He said, no, his dad. All I've heard for the years that I've been this man's friend and he's been mine is about his dad and how amazing his dad was, and how his dad took every opportunity to teach him about Jesus. His dad lived his life pointing to Jesus. His dad lived his life pointing everybody to Jesus. His life, his dad was wise about every opportunity. And man, as he's talking, I'm like, we're teaching on that in two hours. And he said, yeah, every opportunity. He said, my friend, my, my, my friend and his brother got to go be by his bedside. He was diagnosed with pancreatic, pancreatic, pancreatic cancer six weeks ago, and today he's no longer here. It was a quick, brutal death. And then the last week, he was barely even alive and coming in and out of consciousness. Couldn't talk anymore. But they sat by his bedside, held his hands. And as they were holding his hands, they just continued to tell him, Dad, thank you. Dad, thank you for what you did. Dad, here's the influence you've been. Dad, here's what you've done in our lives. Dad, here's what you've been to people. Dad, here's the stories coming in, Dad. Dad, you kept pointing to Jesus your whole entire life. Dad, you were faithful. Dad, thank you. But he couldn't talk back. And then... I saw and heard, and he heard, and his boys saw the most amazing picture. Church, this is the picture of what Paul is describing right now in Ephesians. He couldn't talk, but he let go of my friend and his brother's hand, and he simply did this. We live as wise and not unwise. And we make the most of every opportunity so that God gets the glory of every moment 
and everything points back to him. Live like it matters. We're to be filled up. We can't do any of this. These passages would seem very legalistic if Paul wouldn't have included this part here. It would seem like, do this, don't do that. Hey, you know, the old nature does this, the new nature does this. Hey, don't be about this, but be about this. Just very legalistic, you know, white-knuckle it, figure out how to be a Christian uh, family. I'm going to tell you a few do's and don'ts, and now get after it. Oh, man. But then he says this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. We can do none of this without the Spirit. We can't make the most of every day without the Spirit. We can't know that which is right and good and holy without the Spirit. We can't understand Scripture without the Spirit of God in us. We can't understand it. And he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. And he's giving one last contrast, one last comparison, the way he's done all the way through 4 and 5. And he's saying, hey, hey, don't get drunk on wine, which leads you to the unwise decisions. Don't get drunk and which leads you to debauchery, which is immoral behavior. Don't, don't get drunk, which gives control of your life, your mind, emotions, and your physical responses to anything else but the Spirit. For the Spirit is life. And that which has control besides the Spirit is death. All throughout Ephesians, we've been seeing the contrast. Death, life, darkness, light. Children. Outside of the family. We've been seeing it all the way through and he's giving it to us again. Nothing controls your life except for the Holy Spirit. This isn't a prohibition on alcohol. This isn't a commentary on wine. It's, it's not a commentary on, uh, on, on to drink or not to drink. That's not what Paul's getting at here at all. And we could go into talking about, well, what was the wine like and what was the alcohol content? But he wasn't getting at any of that. He was saying, don't get drunk. Anything that pulls control away from the Holy Spirit is not for the people of God. Because the people of God are going to be wise in every opportunity. The moment we're drunk, our wisdom is out the window, and all we're doing is pursuing our selfish desires. All our inhibitions are gone, all our thoughts are gone, and all of our commitment and surrender to Jesus Christ disappears. And he's saying, hey, 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 don't do that. But... Be filled with the Holy Spirit, for that is how you live the life that we've been talking about. That's how it's going to happen. This idea of being filled means control. It means control. Who controls your life? Constantly be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Constantly be surrendering your life, moment by moment, detail by detail, so that the Holy Spirit has control of your life. Just a few quick things about the Holy Spirit and about this passage of being filled. Being filled is not the same as possessing or being indwelt by the Holy, or being indwelt by the Holy Spirit because he indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. So what Paul's not saying here is, hey, 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 uh, you better at some moment after you say yes to Jesus, go back and go, hey, hey, by the way, I need the Holy Spirit, God, in case you forgot. He's not saying, uh, he's not saying hey, uh, I feel a little empty, so uh, fill me up. He's not saying that. We get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enters our life at the moment, in fullness, at the moment we say yes to Jesus. At the moment our lives are transformed by Christ. At the moment we go from death to life, the Holy Spirit is within us. 
we can only do that because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, drawing us, convicting us to do that. And then the Holy Spirit stays with us, seals us into eternity, seals us and confirms that we are sons and daughters of the living God. And he speaks to us and guides us and leads us and helps us to understand the will of God. Being filled with the Spirit does not describe a process of progressively receiving Him in degrees or in doses. It has nothing to do with content or quantity. As though we are empty vessels and need a required amount of spiritual fuel to keep going. So it's not like we spend the Holy Spirit and need it back. It's not like this was a really good, righteous day and I've just exhausted all my Holy Spirit fuel. It's nothing like that at all. It's not that, okay, I'm, a, I'm now more mature in my faith. I've been walking a couple more years. Boom, here's another deposit. It's nothing like that at all. It's not a measure of your obedience, how much Holy Spirit is in you. That's not true at all. You've been given the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the point of surrender. You've been given the fullness of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation, the fullness. Nothing you do could make or take away the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the means by which we're controlled. To be filled by the Spirit means to constantly, to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, emotions, and will. This will mean the constant surrender of our lives to the work and movements of the Holy Spirit. The constant surrender of our lives. If I put my foot in a bucket, the water disperses. Pull my foot out of the bucket, the water comes back, right? The water fills in. All the same water was there. The water just refills that place where my leg was. What in your life is pushing the Holy Spirit out? What in your life is pushing the Holy Spirit away from control? What is it that you're gripping that the Holy Spirit needs to have control of? What is it that you're determining that the Holy Spirit needs control of? What emotion have you not surrendered to the Holy Spirit? What action have you not surrendered to the Holy Spirit? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It means we need to rid ourselves. It's a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's fully there. The Holy Spirit's doing the work. And now we need to say, yes, Lord, I surrender this area of my life to you. And that happens all the time, every moment of every day. Look, the alarm goes off at 6 a.m. and we say, Lord, your will, not mine. Lord, your day, not my day. 6.15, Lord, whatever you want today, it's yours. 6.30, yes, Lord, I won't be angry at that person. 7 o'clock, yes, Lord, your mercy and grace is far more important. 7.30, no, I won't yell at my boss today. Whatever it is, we're constantly surrendering those areas of our lives to God's control, allowing the Spirit to control and fill those areas of our lives that are rightly His. As Gretchen so amazingly put, we say yes to God, and then we bump them right back out of the way. The fullness of the Spirit is there, ready to control your life. Are you surrendering your life to Him daily? John MacArthur shared the following as he tries to explain this, help us understand this. He said, the Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit, can be compared to a glove. Until it is filled with a human hand, the glove is powerless and useless. It is designated to do work, 
but it can do no work by itself. It works only as the hand controls and uses it. The glove's only work is the hand's work. It does not ask the hand to give it an assignment and then try to complete the assignment without the hand. Oh, let me read that again. It does not ask the hand to give it an assignment and then try to complete the assignment on its own. Lord, what decision should I make? Lord, what should I do? Lord, how should I talk to this person? Lord, how is it that I'm supposed to live? And then I'm going to go do it without you. I'm going to do it within my own strength and my own power. It doesn't do that. The hand and the glove work together. The spirit and us, we work together. We're constantly surrendering control of our lives. Nor does it gloat or brag about what it used to do because it knows that the hand deserves all the credit. A Christian can accomplish no more without being filled with the Holy Spirit than a glove can accomplish without being filled with the hand. To be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus as if we were standing next to Him. And to let His mind dominate our lives and to, it is to fill ourselves with God's Word so that His thoughts will be our thoughts, His standards, our standard, His work, our work, His will, our will. We are to yield to the truth of Christ. That is to be filled with the Spirit. Not be drunk, or to use anything else but to be filled, moving everything else out of our lives, allowing Christ to control everything else. And then finally this, we're supposed to live with a new song. We're supposed to live with a new song. Speak, first of all, hear that word speak. It literally means speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Seriously. I don't get the singing thing. I've tried. I don't get it. Just in and of myself, without the Spirit, I don't get the singing thing. Because look, here's the deal. You ever show up at the doctor's office and it's full, like a bunch of people there? waiting to see the doctor. And all of a sudden, the receptionist stands up and goes, all right, let's all sing. No, that's never happened to you. You ever go to the grocery store and everybody's waiting in line and, and everybody looks at one another, hey, we're all buying groceries today. Let's sing. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Oh, I know where it happens. It does happen in bars. It does happen when we're drunk. We sing a lot when we're drunk. What's the deal? What's the deal? Once again, Paul's giving us the contrast. Man, when the Holy Spirit's in us, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't help but sing. We can't help but sing. There is a new song in our heart. The word new is used in association with song in Scripture than any, than any other way. The word new is used more times in association with song than in any other way. The Lord puts a new song in our heart. The Lord puts a new reason for us to sing. Come on, the world without the Holy Spirit has no real reason to sing. But those who have the Holy Spirit in their life, those that are saved, those who have been brought from death to life, we have nothing but reason to sing. And we are singing of the Holy One that loves us. We're singing of the life that was changed. We're singing of the effect that our life has on other people. We are singing because of who God is, what He's done, and that He received us. That He brought us into His kingdom. So we sing. The early spirit-filled church was a singing church. It was dominated with the theme of joy. Is your life dominated with the theme of joy? Do you remember what the fruit of the Spirit is? Joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness? Right? It's, how can we not sing when that's what we're filled with? A song will come out. A song will. The first consequences of the Spirit-filled life that Paul mentions was not a mountain-moving faith or an ecstatic spiritual experience, but instead, a dynamic speaking ability to sing about Christ. By the way, who's supposed to be the recipient of our songs? One another. Right? Yes, we sing unto the Lord. Absolutely. But we're supposed to speak to one another with these same songs. So what is it about these songs that he declares? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms are literally from Scripture. There's Scripture being sung. And there's going to be melody or music put to it so that we can not only remember it, but we can declare it together. And we can sing in one voice and one accord together. Okay, that's Psalms. We should sing those. We should speak those to one another. By the way, when you gather together, do you speak Psalms to one another? Well, Paul's telling us we should. Not only to sing them, but to speak them. Which means what? Speak Scripture into one another's lives. When you gather, why do we gather in life groups? To speak Scripture into one another's lives. What would I hope you do when you meet for coffee and you just meet with another believer? Speak Scripture into one another's lives. It's an amazing thing we get to do. What are these hymns? Well, these hymns are taking the character of God that we find in Scripture, the character of God, arranging them poetically, and then putting music to them and singing them. So it's still singing Scripture. It's led by Scripture. It's just not the Psalms of Scripture, right? But it's still the understanding of Scripture. It is still the truth of Scripture. It is the character and works of God that are put to song. And now what are these spiritual songs? These spiritual songs are the expressions of our faith. These spiritual songs are our testimonies. These spiritual songs are the testimonies of Scripture. And so what does that mean? It means literally we're going to sing our testimony to one another. But first, we're going to speak it. When you meet together, do you share your testimony with one another? And you're like, uh, they're already Christians. Well, that's the misunderstanding of what sharing your testimony means. Your testimony is your witness of what God is doing in your life. At one time or another, he saved you. That was what he did, yes. But now he's continuing to do a great work in your life, and we're supposed to give testimony to that great work. And some of the testimony that you see up on these screens that we sing is just somebody's testimony of God's great work. And how do we know it's a good song for us to sing? Because we go back and look at Scripture, and it aligns with Scripture. It aligns with the character of God. So we sing. So we declare. And what is it that we ultimately sing? Always giving Thanks to God the Father for everything. When you open your mouth to speak to another believer, when you open your mouth to speak, does thanksgiving come out mostly? Does your testimony come out mostly? Do words of Scripture come out mostly? Do psalms come out? Do descriptions of God's character come out? It says when you speak to one another, speak of psalms, and hymns, and spiritual songs. Always giving thanks to God for what he has done. Right? For who he is. Always giving thanks. Or is it that bitterness comes out? Or is it that anger comes out? Or is it that dissension comes out? Or is it that backbiting comes out? Remember, Paul talked about all those in Ephesians 4. And now he's telling us the way that we're going to speak to one another. It's not a sporadic letter. Yes, it's taken us 18 weeks to get to this place. But he wrote it so that it would all link together so that we would understand. 
Those words are words of darkness. Those conversations are conversations of darkness. The attitude, the non-thankful attitude are, is an attitude of darkness. Our worship is our thankful response to God for who he is and what he's done. Our worship is our thankful response to God for who he is and what he's done. And scripture guides that thanksgiving. So how do we speak to one another? With words of thanksgiving. With words of scripture and songs. November 14th. We're going to gather for a Thanksgiving dinner. I don't care if you like turkey. It doesn't matter if, you know, stuffing's your favorite. It doesn't even matter if you like eating at this church or you don't like eating at this church. Those things don't matter. What we see in Scripture is the first church ate together. They broke bread together. They communed together with food. They shared in the blessing that God was giving them food to eat. And then they worshiped. They gave thanks to the Lord. So we're going to eat together, and then we're going to go into our, our, our sanctuary, our worship center, just the other, down the, down, down the hallway, where our traditional service meets. And we are going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together, giving thanks to God for all he has done and who he is. Literally, would you break a leg trying to get here on that Wednesday? Would you, would you do it? So that we could be a family that sits together, eats together, rejoices together, proclaims the word of God together, and says, thank you, Lord. November 14th. Let's worship our Lord and be thankful together. Okay? Father, thank you for who you are. We love you. We praise you. We're grateful for who you are and what you do. Thank you for getting us this far in Ephesians. What a beautiful letter. Thank you for Paul's boldness to write it. Thank you for inspiring him with the truth of who you are. And thank you for teaching us how to speak and how to sing and the attitude that walks through this life with. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Before you dismiss, this is where we're stopping in Ephesians. The next couple of weeks, I just want to invite you to be here. Next week, we're going to celebrate. We're going to, we're going to thank our veterans for sure. We're going to look at one of the most mighty warriors in Scripture. We're going to look at the life of Joseph next week. I mean, I'm sorry, Joshua. Sorry. We're going to look at the life of Joshua next week. Be here for that. The following week on the 18th, we're going to have our Vision Sunday. And we're going to unpack where our church has been, where it's headed over this next year. But we're going to look at our own lives. God has vision for each one of us individually, as well as collectively as a church. We want you to be a part of that. And finally, with the foster night, foster family night out, don't wait till the last minute. We have to do some work, meaning this. In order to take, help take care of kids, we're going to have to have a little class, watch a few things. There's some check boxes we got to check off because it's part of a, of a governmental system that we're stepping into to give help with, okay? So there's a few things we got to do. So don't wait till the last minute like we usually do, all right? <laughs> okay? Have a great week, everybody. If you need prayer, I'll be up here.